You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Do that, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. But I guess, first of all, good morning. Good. All right. Yeah, people are awake. I love that. That's my favorite part of church is when you're awake. If you can fall asleep, that's okay, too. I'll just mercilessly shame you. It's fine. Um, actually, I've never done that once, and we do have, you know, three or four guys that do the uh, do the head nod. So um, this morning, uh, I'd like to start off with, uh, we're going to be jumping into the book of Nehemiah, of course. And uh, Nehemiah is, uh, we've been marching through Nehemiah since the beginning of uh, beginning of summer. Actually, since, um, since kind of the end of May. And uh, so we're seven chapters into Nehemiah. And we're going to keep trucking along through Nehemiah all the way through the summer months until the fall hits. And, um, and then some changes are going to be happening. But uh, Nehemiah has been a great book. It's been a lot of fun to study. It's been a lot of fun to uh, to look into, and like we saw last week, to see this this shadow or this picture of Jesus that God has uh, that God has laid out here in in the person of Nehemiah and some of the struggles that he's been having. We saw that last week a little bit with some of the bullies he was facing. Um, this morning, uh, though, we're we're in a different kind of chapter. And uh, in order to kind of highlight this or to start it just a little bit, I need to ask you guys a question. And this is time for some response, mostly because when I just talk about this stuff, I get in trouble. So can you tell me some of the differences between men and women? Nobody can. Okay, great. Now we're just as confused as I am. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, I will tell you, we'll just get you started. I'll tell you some of the differences between Laura and I. Now, Laura... Yeah, we're special. We're we're special special people, though. Um, you know, Laura is uh, Laura is very. Um, she she did not like coming up here. She doesn't like doing this. She did it, which was awesome. But she doesn't like being up in front of people. Me, I love being up in front of people. Love it. It's fine. I did it because you asked me, and I feel like I should do things because of obligation. And you're like, yeah. Laura's very <laughs> Laura's very duty oriented. If she's asked to do something, she will generally do it. If I'm asked to do something, I'll be like. Why? No, actually, as long as it's involved with people, as long as there's people involved in a task, I'm going to be there. But if it's just me doing tasks, I'm going to be all over the map because I have a lot of ADD and stuff like that. Okay, so we're very different people. We communicate very differently. You guys know this. The uh, age-old statistics is that uh, ladies tend to use about three times more words per day than guys do. They're much more communicative. That doesn't mean that they're they're certainly not wasted words, although most of us guys are going to be like, I only heard like half of those. But we, uh, that, that's, that's what happens. Guys and girls just communicate a little bit differently. Anybody else got an idea of different ways? Yes, go ahead, Mary. Just stuff that I've heard, you know, in different things is women multitask, men compartmentalize. They put, everything's got a box. Yeah. And they can only do one box at a time where women can do a whole bunch of boxes at a time. Yeah, yep. Women don't actually have boxes. No, they have one box with a giant mess of cords in it yes. <laughs> that are all tied together, right? And every single one of them's knotted up like that one. You know, on Christmas, every Christmas, you pull out the string of lights. 
And what do you see? You grab the one string, you're like, oh man, this is going to go so well. And then all of a sudden, this giant ball of wires comes out. That's like a, that's like a lady's brain. Now, there's a reason. Funny, no, because like Mary says, everything's in a little box, and they can only do one thing at a time. Like that's really bad, and you're like, everything's in one box, like a giant mess. Yeah, but okay, but there's actually there's some biology here to this, right? Okay, so ladies' brains have a a thicker. Uh, there's a bridge that that melds the two halves of the hemispheres of the brain together. It's like this bridge that communicates uh, communicates information. Women's brains tend to have a thicker. I forget what the name of that is. What is it? It's the yeah, corpus costolum or corpus colostum. Corpus yeah, that's that thing. It's uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, ner- future nurse. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's got the, the ladies tend to have a thicker one of those thingies, and that means that their brains communicate better than ours do. Ours communicate one side, and it's like, and then fire this side up, and then, and then fire this side up, and that's all we can do. That's why we're boxed, and that's that's actually a it's a huge like women's brains are tend to be more efficient. Yeah, all the guys are like fishing. <laughs> yeah, but go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, they're so different. I've heard that scientifically, you can even tell their skeletons apart. Like on a woman's skeleton, the jaw is more worn out. The jaw. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I have other people say this stuff. I'm going home and I'm getting in trouble for that. Thank you, Tyler. I love it. Go ahead, Judy. Oh, he said uh, you can tell the skeletal system is different for a lady because the jaws worn out. That's yeah. Now, yeah, there's there's a little bit more than that, but yeah, that was a great setup. Good job, Tyler. Yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. You have two types of men. The lazy men are not multitasks, but men that are not lazy are very multitasks because a lot of them were raised by their mothers. Uh, maybe, maybe. Although I've tried to, I've tried to see some dudes multitask, and if you talk to a woman about what's going on in their head at any task, you're going to be like. Shut up. There's no way there's that much going on. But there is. There's that much going on. Sometimes Laura will say something, I'll be like, okay, back up. How did you get there? And she'll walk me through the process of how she got there in a split second. And there's 27 thoughts going on at once that all melded into one thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. You don't understand women. On Tyler's note, brain development, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Boys' brains don't develop. Yes. (laughs) Let's just say it that way. They just stop at about 11. That's it, right? We don't develop much else after that. Um, yeah, there there are actual you know scientific things, but then what we see is we see them play out in relationships. And uh, going on uh, Mary's little discussion, this is a complete side note, but on Mary's little point, um, the way that I explain guys guys' minds is they're actually like filing cabinets. We have certain files, and each drawer is a role in our life. Uh, like the dad role, you pull the drawer out, and it's got all these files in it. And then you search through the files, you find the file, you pull it out, you look at everything, then you shove it back in, and then you go to work and you pull out a whole other drawer and there's all these different files. And then you search through the files, and then you, yeah, see, and Jesse's nodding, that's what it is. And you shut the drawer, and then you go to church, and you pull open this teeny little drawer, right? Because there's not much there. But the files, in the files, are actually pictures, they're all images. Guys are very visually oriented. So when we bring up a memory or we bring up something in our role, we visualize things. 
Guys explain things in a visualize and attack model. And so we will visualize a problem and we'll attack it. We'll visualize who we are and we'll become that person. So just so you know, girls, ladies, that's how guys' minds work. I would try to explain the way that women's minds work, but I just don't understand it. I can try to explain it, but it ends up sounding like foolishness. Um, speaking of foolishness and me trying to explain something, this is actually where we're going to today. Is there is uh, today we're going to look at something that uh, we're going to look at something in Nehemiah that I don't understand a whole lot of personally, and and we'll get there in just a second because we're we're looking at in Nehemiah God has placed inside of Nehemiah his organized and administrative heart. I have zero of that, zero. In fact, I'm anti-administrative and anti-organized. I walk into stuff and I create chaos wherever I go. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm like, yeah, you think that's organized? Here I am, right? And so I'll mess all of that up. But there is something more important than this, and there's not more important, but something that is tagged onto this that I want to highlight, and that is this. That it is, this is the big idea for today. This is our big idea for today. And I want you to be able to hear this because everything's tied to this. And the big idea is this. You have to know, humanity, humans have to know not only your limitations, but your gifts as well. This is so important to humanity. This is so important to the way that you, that you live. This is so important to the way that you interact. And frankly, and unfortunately, I think we live in a society that won't, that won't talk about your limitations. And when you lose your limitations, what do you automatically lose? What you excel at. If you don't know what you don't do well at, what you're not good at, you will never ever know what you have been gifted by the Spirit of God to do. And in a world where, and, you know, sorry if this, Sorry, young people, but in a world where you're the best at everything and you get an award just for participating, in a world that is built on that, where everybody is great and everybody is exceptional at everything, and if I'm not very good, you can't tell me that I'm not good because that would be mean and that would be hate speech. In a world that believes that, we are going to lose the people, we're going to lose what we all excel at. And every one of us excels at something different. Every one of us is gifted differently. This is what we would call self-awareness. Becoming self-aware about who you are and about what you're built to do, and more specifically what you're not built to do by God Almighty, those things, having that self-awareness is an unbelievably important thing. And I believe that it is only done in a real and life-changing way as we understand and submit to the Spirit of God in our lives as He shows us how He has recreated us into someone who um, who He's using for a specific purpose. And the only way we will do that is if we submit ourselves to God's Word and God's Spirit in our lives so that we see not only what He's gifted us in, but we see our limitations and we see what He has not gifted us in. Now this should be really freeing because who here is great at everything? Raise your hand if you're great at everything. Tyler, raise his hand. That means he's great at lying. Okay. Um, <laughs> nobody is great and excellent at everything, and that's okay. Some of you are phenomenal at some things, and some of you are phenomenal at other things. But as we seek God's character, and we see the part of His character that He's breathed into us, as we see that... 
uh, it's not a portion because God breathes His entire life into us, but as we see that play out in our lives, as God's breath fills us up and we see how He's done that in our lives, and we walk in that, what happens is we will begin to understand and to feel the way that we have been put together by Him so that we can walk and move in the assurance of identity in Jesus Christ. This, I think, is probably one of the number one things that is lacking in contemporary Western Christianity is we have not looked at Jesus and said, how have you built me? What do you want me to do? Send me where you want me to go because where you say I go, I will go because that's where I need to be. We, haven't, we don't look at things that way. So this brings us up to a, this is a, brings us up to a gospel point. And I don't want to miss gospel points, good gospel points. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the thing that saves us, this, this, it's not information, but this reality that, that equals our salvation is that you were created by God. You were created by, by God. You were formed by Him, specifically the way that you look, the way that you are, the way that your personality is, your family, everything. You were created by God. He breathed life into you. He gave you a spirit by the power of His breath, by the power of His word. He breathed life into you. But we've all used that life to live for sin and for self. To live for ourselves. We've used that breath of God to glorify ourselves. That is what we commonly call sin. We have all used that life for sin and for self. And this sin has marred the image of God inside of us. And has brought chaos in where there should be peace and fullness in our identity as His reflective creatures. That sin demands not only God's wrath, but... It also demands that God fix that brokenness some way. Jesus came to die on a cross to fix our sin and to heal our brokenness. And then He ascended to heaven to grant us the coming of the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. The breath of God comes to dwell within us, to live inside of us once again, and to fill us up. And the result is us being able to not only find our identity in Christ once again, but to live like Him and for Him for His glory. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never heard the gospel presented that way, I'm sorry. You need to know the fullness of the gospel. The gospel is sin and God's wrath, but it is also salvation and it is redemption and recreation for a mission and a purpose. This is the essential message, the essential hope of Jesus Christ, the essential Christian message, and it is the hope that we cling our lives to, this hope of salvation, redemption, reconciliation, healing, and bringing things back to the way they should have been, removing the chaos and bringing peace where there once was none. And today, we are going to get to a point in Nehemiah where the text accentuates this idea of how Nehemiah is built and bringing redemption and restoration in a very different way. We're going to see in Nehemiah that it takes many different people and many different voices. We're going to see in Nehemiah that this is how God is bringing things together, not by one person, but by one man who's been captured by the grace and the power of God and who is giving that and, and using, helping, other people, um, uh, helping other people come into a place where they can be used by God as well. And so Nehemiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be. We have to do our things, so get your hands prepared because uh, we have to do our, our VBS things. So what we've been doing is we've been, uh, every week we've been going through uh, these little icon thingies on the side here, okay? Uh, what this is, is this is going to remind you 
you what the story of the Old Testament is all the way up until this point. Those of you who have been here, you know these, so we'll go through them fairly quickly. But it starts off with the world, which is creation. That's jazz hands because that's how God created things, with jazz hands. Um, so it's creation, and then everything falls into a fall, right? So there's creation and there's fall. So there's creation, fall, and then he calls from Abraham and says, I'm going to make you like many nations. He creates nations out of Abraham, right? So you got creation, fall, nations. But then he sends that one nation, Israel, into captivity, right? He sends them into captivity in Egypt, and they kind of incubate and grow there. And then he steps into their life, and he sends them out in the Exodus. So he sends them out. This is Exodus. Then they begin wandering around the promised land. They wander around the promised land because they wander around and around and around because they're disobedient, they don't follow God until one day he brings them to the promised land. Okay, so let's go from the beginning. you got creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wandering, promised land. And then as they're in the promised land, God says, you know what, you're going to sin, you're going to fall into sin, but I'm going to send people to save you by bringing in the judges. And the judges rule over the people. And the book of Judges is a phenomenal book, I love it. But the guy, uh, the Israelites are upset with the judges, and so eventually they want a king like other nations, so they ask for kings, or as Jonas does it, the moose king. So, yep, they say we've got kings. So they want a king, and those kings end up leading them astray to the point where God finally exiles them and sends them out. Okay? And then he calls them back because of his great mercy and his grace. That's the Old Testament story up until Nehemiah. So you got creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wandering, promised land, judges, kings, exodus, and or exile and return. Those things are what we need to know because now in the return, Nehemiah is here and he is here uh, building the wall in uh, in Jerusalem. He is building the wall in order to protect the city. And God is using him, uh, Nehemiah, to build this wall, which is a pretty cool thing. And uh, we're at the point right now in this chapter where the wall is getting finished. And so we're going to pick this up, and you're going to see why I'm only going to read a few verses, because you're going to scan down and you're going to be like, oh yeah. So chapter 7, after the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. That's not confusing at all. Because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now, this is verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So hopefully you're getting a picture. Like he built a wall, but there's still rubble everywhere because the houses are not rebuilt. Verse 5, so my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. And I'm not going to read all this. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Bish, Bilshan, and 
others. <laughs> and if you scan down, you will see that basically this is a listing. Now, here's some of the things that I want you to I want to point out about this. Okay, let's jump back into uh, jump back up to verses one and two. Right. So we know what's happening now. The city was large and excuse me the uh, the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place. So Nehemiah is finishing with the project now. Here's the point that we need to know. In our country, in our society, we think that uh, we will often attach ourselves to one person, one leader. And we all our hopes will be in that leader and our identity will come from that leader and we will be, uh, we will be either uh, violently angry because somebody's bashing our leader or we will be violently angry because our leader is not the leader. I don't know if that explains anything about what you read in the papers or anything like that, right? Like, this is what our society does. If you look at churches, churches are usually pastored by one person. One guy who's got all the answers, quote unquote. Call him the answer guy or the yeah, yeah guy from last week's sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our society loves pinning our identity to one single leader and we will not let that leader go. But God's kingdom does not exist that way. God's kingdom does not work that way. God's kingdom works in a handoff fashion. You see Nehemiah in verse 2, he says, um, where's verse 2? I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. This is a critical part in any project. If Nehemiah decides, all of a sudden he's like, you know what, these people won't survive without me because I am so big and I am so great. He will not hand off to somebody. But if he humbles himself and he says, okay, God called me for such a time as this, for one thing, single thing, and now I'm going to hand off this project to somebody else. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. Now the next thing is, who do I hand it off to? <coughs> People who love power will oftentimes hand it off to somebody who's powerful. Will hand it off to somebody who will do the best. Somebody who's going to be the best manager of people or going to make them look the best or make them the most money or whatever. Nehemiah doesn't do that. What he does is, because he's a godly man, he looks at the people and he says, Who is the most God-fearing man I know? Who's the most God-fearing man I know? And I love the way that that's phrased, God-fearing, because if this man that is given leadership does not fear God, he will try to rule God. He will try to use God. He will try to manipulate God. He will try to push God. The man who is filled with humility and godliness and a fear of God is the man who will always lead God's way, not his way. So for those of you who may be thinking, man, I just wish that I could, uh, I wish that God would tell me, like, I wish God would call me into something real big, some sort of big leadership deal, because I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready. It's actually not the way to think about this. The best way to think about this is, man, oh, I just need to know Jesus. I need to know Him deeply. I need to be just ripped apart by Him and watch Him call me into things. I've had countless guys that I've talked to um, in fact, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pick on Jamin because he's not here. About uh, five years ago, I came to Jamin and I'm like, Hey, Jamin, uh, I would really like you to step on board as one of the elders because, uh, because I, first of all, you think differently than me. Second of all, you love Jesus. Third of all, like you express a faith that, although it's not perfect, is one that really does change your life. It really does rule your life. Your faith in God really changes you. And he looked at me and he goes, Dude, I don't... 
I don't think I'm the right guy for that job. I, I don't think I could lead people spiritually. I'm a mess. And I said, that's the perfect answer. Thank you so much for giving that answer. You actually answered perfectly correctly. You passed the test you're in. Because that's the idea is this humility thing is something we need in our leaders. We all want that in our leaders. But oftentimes people who are humble will not take leadership positions. So Nehemiah hands this off to a person who's going to run things God's way, not his way. A person who has godliness and humility. But he doesn't stop there because in verse 3 he continues. He says, I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still on duty. Have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards. Some at their posts, some near their own houses. One of the things I want you to see here is Nehemiah is a godly leader. He doesn't just parachute drop people into their positions. How many of you have ever been sink or swim, parachute dropped into a position? I know I have. It's the worst thing ever, isn't it? Where you're like, here you go. Start this new job. By the way, you're going to be fired if you don't do it right. And I'm not going to give you any instructions. That actually is oftentimes the way that things happen. Nehemiah doesn't parachute drop his friends in there. He actually gives them instructions. He says, look, I'm backing off. I'm going to go away. I'm not just going to leave you hanging. Here's how you do this. This shows Nehemiah's character, his integrity. This shows that he is willing to do what many are not. That he's actually willing to help and instruct and train those who are in leadership. Discipling them and helping them to be better at their job than he was at his. And I will tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, everybody, if you are not... um, Well, our job is to make disciples. Okay, Our job is to make disciples. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to show them how to walk towards Jesus. But our job is also to replace ourselves... Not to make ourselves a big thing, but to train somebody up so that you can step away and say, you know what, you got this. And you're going to screw it up and I'm going to be there all along and I'm going to help you, train you, teach you, walk with you. I'm going to do that and then eventually you're going to go and you're going to be way better at this than I've ever been. You're going to outshine me, you're going to outshadow me because that is what Jesus did to his disciples. He filled them with his spirit and he said, you will go and do not only things like I've done, but you will do greater things. That's our pattern. So Nehemiah here is showing a discipleship pattern. But then the text takes this weird turn. And this is, I've got to camp out here for the rest of the time. This text takes this weird turn. Nehemiah says that his God put it in his heart. This is verse 5 and 6. That Nehemiah, Nehemiah says that God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. That God put it into his heart to take a census to do the boring thing of sending out letters, getting people together, pulling out the pulling out the, the documents, building the spreadsheets. He's got the Excel going. He's got all this stuff, right? This is what God put in his heart to do. Put it in his heart to organize things. Nehemiah, being a godly leader, obeys what God asks. And, and this turns into Nehemiah faithfully counting all the people in the city, tracking them all the way from the records of the exile to where they're currently at. And he's tracking their giving to the project. You actually see that later. He tracks their giving and he reports that in the scriptures. He talks about their validity of the claim as a priest. Some guys are asking if they're priests and he checks whether or not it's a valid priesthood. And he says, nope, sorry, you can't. You weren't, you're, you're not the right type. He checks their family status. He checks the cities from which they come from. He checks all of these things and he makes sure that everything's organized. Now, 
I'm not going to make mountains out of molehills here. I'm not going to be the person who preaches that counting and attendance and numbers make a big difference. It's not what he's talking about here. This is not talking about, um, let's see, Jesse does the counting almost every week that he's here. It's not talking about the fact that Jesse's got a real important job, although I appreciate what you do because I have a report to fill out at the end of the year. But it's not talking about just that, you know, counting numbers and, uh, and as they would say, butts and bucks in the seats. Like that's, uh, that's not a, it's not necessarily an important thing. But what I am going to tell you is, I think that the reason that God pushes Nehemiah to this action is that Nehemiah reveals that there's an organizational and structural side to God's heart. This should not come as a shock. Have you ever looked at nature? Is nature organized? It's incredibly organized. It's incredibly knit together. Everything is built in a balance and everything is a system. There are systems upon systems upon systems that you engineers, you count on and you test and you look and you see. Those systems are the things that God has placed there because He's organized and He's structural. Now, this is an incredible thing simply because I don't get this. I don't get this. I don't understand what it's like to have God's organized and structural heart. And I, I, I want you to know that many of you may be sitting there kind of um, confused about who you are because God has called you and obviously you read the scriptures and the scriptures say like, you know, you should be involved in that you are, you are a minister. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you need to get involved in things. And we ask you, we say, hey, you guys, you should get involved. You need to apply your faith. You need to work this out. And many of you are like, well, I can't teach. I can't sing and I can't preach. So what do I do? Can't teach, you can't preach, you can't sing. What do I do? I'll tell you that that is such a limited version, a limited understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ does inside of you. It's such a limited understanding of the Holy Spirit's gifting power. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could put different pauses in all day long. You're a full-time mission worker. I don't know if you know that or not. You're a full-time mission worker. You're a full-time mission worker in a local cultural context placed inside a specific people group with a specific language. Tyler, you work construction? There's a specific language in the construction world, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, actually there is. Uh, Carrie, you work on cars. There's a specific language with car guys. You want to get Carrie fired up? Ask him some car questions and sound like you know what you're talking about. He'll pick up where you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, and these guys are very different. Right? You, you, you guys dwell in a world where God has placed you into a place with a specific language, a specific local cultural context. God has given you to those people. He's raised you up. He's filled you with His Spirit. And he said, you go make disciples of that tribe and tongue. That tribe and tongue. And it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or if you're an introvert doesn't matter if you can stand in front of people and speak or if you like to be behind the, the scenes. It doesn't matter if you can teach people about the Bible or maybe you're struggling to figure things out about the Bible or whatever. Those things don't matter here. The deal is, is that you have been given a ministry in your work environment and in your life. And your work environment may be at home. 
You've been specifically, specially created by God and then saved and recreated with the breath of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't want you to, I don't want these to be empty words. You need to hear this again. You've been created and formed by God with everything that you are, everything that your brain, all the way that your brain works, all that stuff. You've been formed by God, but then you have been, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for your salvation and the Holy Spirit has been dumped in full measure into your, into you as you, He dwells inside of you. And under the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, He has empowered you to bring light and peace and shalom into the environments that God has given you authority over. There is no higher mission than that. I don't know how much we teach this or preach this, but you have been specifically designed for a specific reason that God has filled you with. And you may feel like you're pointless or maybe your work has fallen into a place where it's just sucking the life out of you. You need to know that God has stuck you right there with those people. See, this means, uh, let's talk to some specific people. Moms and dads? Moms and dads? You have been given the Holy Spirit of God to bring peace and hope and light to your home as you instruct your children in the way of the Lord. As they watch you and scrutinize you every way that you follow Jesus. That is what God has given you His Holy Spirit for. Those of you in management, maybe some of you are in management, I don't know. If you are, I'm sorry. I was in management once. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God to shepherd a group of people. Management management and pastoring is actually not all that different. Management and shepherding. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God to shepherd a group of people to bring hope and light to the organization that you work in. And when you do that, amazing things happen. Those of you who are just bean counters, you're sitting in a cubicle and you're working with papers. we got a few bean counters in here. You've been given the organizational heart of the Lord God Almighty to use your detail-oriented mind to bring light and darkness to your work and to your clients. Those of you who are engineers or engineers in training... You have been given a fraction of God's creative and structural heart together and His mind to be able to use your mind and strength to foster His redemption through infrastructure, through mechanics, through better systems, through better chemical processes, whatever. You've been given that heart and that mind by God to look at things and go, hey, I've systematized the whole world, God says. Now I'm going to give you that. And you systematize tiny little worlds and little realms. And as you do that, light is going to shine forth. Those of you who are in law enforcement, some of my law enforcement friends, God has given you his heart for justice so that we can look and say his hands and his feet are not absent. His hand and his feet are not absent. Those of you who are artists, God's God's given you his heart for beauty to bring a sense of awe and light and hope to this world as you recreate out of things that are in your soul and in your heart or as you paint the things that God has put out there. Those of you who are simply in a laboring crew at maybe, uh, I don't know, in construction or, uh, or at the, at the, at the garage or out at the airport or in cubicle land or whatever, right? God has given you his, just like Jesus' servant-oriented heart, God has given you his servant-oriented heart to display sacrifice and perseverance and joy as you work day in and day out, bringing hope and peace and love to a lost and dying world. Guys, i got to tell you this. Your job is amazing. I don't know if you feel that way on Monday. I don't know if you feel that way on Monday. Your job is amazing. God has given you to those people. And it's for these reasons, because of the beautiful and powerful redeeming work of the gospel, that 
it's that 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 gospel that saves us and fills us with the Spirit of God, it places us right back in the environment we are saved from. It's because of these things that it's of utmost importance that we learn who God made us to be. That we look and we see, hey, I have limitations that God has ordained, and I have things that I excel at that God has ordained, and what I am placed in is the thing that God has ordained, and so I will accept it, I will embrace it, and I will run after it with all of my heart. Because that is the place that God has called me to. If you would, grab your Bible, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. It is in the back, slightly before, well, Revelation. I want you to hear the words of Paul as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is incredibly important stuff. I just want to read for you the first ten verses here. What these verses do is they portray the reality of who you were apart from Jesus and then portray the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ. And you need to know this. It says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, You were dead and you lived in that death. You're walking dead. That's what he's saying in that first couple of verses. In verse 3, all of us lived among them At one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now I just want you to see that verse 7. This is why God has saved us. He's placed us there so that He can show the, the, uh, excuse me, the incomparable riches of His grace in coming generations. This means that people will look back on you going, hey, you remember that one dude in cubicle land who changed everything? Hey, do you remember that one lady who... She was a stay-at-home mom, but she brought so much peace into her home and to her life, and it spilled out. I don't mean peace like your kids are perfect and they're a bunch of robots. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like people run into you and they go, the Spirit of God is there. Your kids are all over the place, but the Spirit of God is there. And in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I have made big time mountains out of molehills on this one word, that word workmanship, that's that's the Greek word poema, we are God's poem. That's where we get the word poem from. That's your God's poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. That means that what God has done is He has arranged the fabric of this universe, the fabric of this world, and there was this gap, this place where it's like, man, there's this uh, there's this garage and it doesn't have a whole lot of hope and light in it. I know what I'll do. I need a carry. Boom. I sent Him off into that. Oh, there's this... There, there's this um, there's this detective wing up on the third floor of a Payne County Sheriff's Office. It's those people are way, way, way messed up. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna create a Jesse and boom, I'm gonna send him right off into there. That means God's hope 
depends on you. God has pinned his hope on you. And I mean that in all senses of the world. He's word. He's placed his hope on you. But he has created you specifically to bring his spirit into places that are dark. I'm gonna I'm gonna create this engineering school, and it's gonna be this crazy place filled with depression and pressure. And then I'm gonna flood it with these weird Christians. And I'm gonna run them into this crazy church named Common Ground Church, and we're gonna prepare these guys and start sending them off all over the place. That's actually legit what God says right here. God prepared in advance the works and then raised up the worker to send him into the field. I don't know if you've ever thought about your life that way before. I hope you have. You were built by God for such a time as this. How can we look at that? How can you look at this passage? How can we look at this and then not obey what God wants in our lives because of what He's made us to be? This is why I encourage you to find something to serve and start trying things out until it becomes so painfully obvious of who you are in Christ that you cannot not do, that's a double negative, cannot not do what Jesus has called you to do because of who you are in Him. I will, uh, I've told this story many, many, many times, and I'll just tell it again and kind of finish up on this. And then we have, we have communion, which is a beautiful picture of what we're about to, what we're, what we've been talking about. Um, when I, those of you who've heard this, you can check out right now, that's fine, and start praying already, but, um, when I, when I got into ministry, I went to my friend Lee McKinnis and I asked him if I could help at church. And what I thought he meant was, uh, what I thought he was going to ask me to do was maybe lead worship, actually, because I was a musician at the time and I was like, oh man, I just want to get up there and like, I want everybody to be amazed at my awesome singing voice and the ability to, you know, play music. And I'm like, Lee, if you need any help, I will, I'd be willing to help you no matter what. And you just let me know. And he reaches in his pocket, he throws me the keys, and he says, you have youth group tonight at 7 p.m. I was like, bah, 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 no, I, no not that, nope, not that. I, I want to like, do stuff that makes me look awesome, and I have no idea what I'm doing there, right? And so uh, two weeks go by, or I, I told him, well, I'll come tonight, we'll observe. We went that night, we observed. Laura and I went home, we prepared a lesson uh, together, which... I don't think that happens very often because we can't actually talk with one another very well. So we prepared this lesson together and it went really well. And we went back on, on Sunday and we went to youth group and we taught these kids about Moses. It was our first lesson. We were talking about, uh, yeah, I say I remember it. Uh, it was horrible. But anyways, we talked, uh, we taught these kids about Moses and who God made Moses to be. And there was this one girl, her name was Melissa. And I just, she was just kind of staring at me with this weird look. And all of a sudden she goes, so she just went, and I went, what? And she goes, I think I just had a thought. Which <laughs> if you knew this girl, it's kind of a miracle. But <laughs> that right there, something clicked inside of me and I went, oh. Right there, something happened inside of her soul and inside of her mind. And as messed up as I was, and as horrible as I was doing, and as how, as uneloquent as I was, something in the Spirit of God decided to click something alive in her using the things that I was teaching, and I was stuck. I was sold. I was done. It's like, that's it. Done with management. Done with making money. Don't care about any of that stuff. I'm going. I am going. I am going. Because no matter what you want me to do, God, that's, this is, you, you showed me this. 
And there is no stopping the rest of that. And it's, it's progressed further and further and further and further and further. I don't know if you've ever looked at your life that way. If you've ever looked at your life like, hey, God has built me specifically for this specific reason, like a lock and a key, like a key to a lock, I fit perfectly with where I'm at. Most of the time we spend our whole life going, God, get me out of this. Just let me get through this day. Just let me get through this week. Just get me out of this. Just get me out of this. But I think what we should be looking at is we should be going, God, put me in this. Use me through this. And make yourself big throughout this. So today, as we come to the communion table, we we practice uh, open communion at Common Ground Church. You don't have to be a member here, but we ask that you do business with Jesus. Perhaps this is simply your time to be able to come to the broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood that's been spilled for you and say, God, I I admit that I have not treated this life like I should have. Show me who I am in you and what you want me to do because of that. Maybe that's this time. Whatever it is, whatever God's leading you through, whatever He's putting to you, maybe maybe this is a time where you have to simply go, God, I've been playing around with something and you know it and I need to stop. Whatever it is, this is a time for you to be able to respond. Matt's going to come up, we're going to sing a, we're going to sing a song, and you can respond during this time. And uh, we just ask that you do business with Jesus. So Jesus, we come before you and we ask that today... You would give us a glimpse, pull the fog back and help us to see maybe just a fraction of the fact that you have raised us up, that you've saved us from sin, that you've healed the brokenness inside of us and you continue to, and then you've given us your spirit for the express reason of doing the things that you have laid out for us beforehand, long beforehand. Before we were even a a blip on anybody's screen or a glint in anybody's eye, Lord Jesus, you arranged things so that we would be recreated in you for this job of bringing hope and peace and love to the places you've called us to. Lord, I admit that I do not look at my, my life that way sometimes. And I don't want to look at your grace and I don't want to look at your salvation. I want to look at your Holy Spirit and then say, no, thank you. I want to look at your Holy Spirit and your salvation and the world that you've given me and say, please, show me, take me, move me, use me. So Lord, I give you I give you my own life. Wherever you want us to go, wherever you want us to do, Lord, I just pray that you do it. And for my friends here, I ask that they would give you their lives and say the same thing. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to stay, I pray that you would just do that in me. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.